So uh, we're going to start with a little bit of a quiz. This is about ready to get real. Um, so raise your hand. Uh, raise your hand if you were here last week. Raise them high. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep no, no, no. Keep them up. Keep them up. This is your workout for the day. Uh, so you're here now. Ra- keep them raised. Actually, ladies, put down your hands. Men, keep them raised. Uh, men, keep your hands raised. If you did the questions that we asked you to do. Wow, whoa, like slow, slow motion. Like, okay, maybe if I move it down slowly, Zach won't notice. Oh, I noticed Cyrus, Larry. Mark is still having a conversation with April about what happened over there. Like, he did yes, no. Uh, uh, Mike still has his hand. Okay, good. Like, still have him up. All right, uh. Uh, how about this? So those who did the questions, keep them raised, keep them raised, keep them raised. Actually, correction, correction. Wives, uh, as you can see, I'm making this up on the spot. Wives, uh, if, if your husband walked you through the question, or walked with you through the questions, raise your hands. What? Wives, raise your hand. Guys, put them down. I want to hear from the wives now. Wives, if your husband walked you through these, right, why is there less hands? <laughs> what, what is happening? Jerry is just going like this. Like this is this is real. This is a confessing church. Is what's happening. So, ladies, ladies, you went through it. Yes, 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 yes. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep keep them up. If you felt like, hey, that was beneficial. Let's do it again this week. Hey, new hands went up. <laughs> I don't. I don't think you understand what's going on. Yeah, Shana's got two hands. Yeah. Are you praising Jesus or? Yeah, both, both, both. Um, so here's what I said last week. First of all, if you were not here last week or the week before, I, I feel like um, the, the content we are walking through together here is so rich, so significant, N- not, not necessarily for your marriage today, but it is m- more for your marriage tomorrow in, in the marriage uh, a month from now, two months from now. Here's what I heard from a couple people. Man, our, man, I feel like our marriage is in a great spot. Praise lo- the Lord. Hallelujah. But here, here's, here's what's real. There's going to be a season in which it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Maybe not because your husband is, is, is not doing his part or his, your, your wife is, is letting you down. It, it might be because someone dies. Or it might be because someone's really sick. And, and so the content for these, this sermon series is not just for your marriage today, single people. It is for the marriage you're going to have a year, two, five years, a decade. You become empty nesters. You, you, your daughter goes out on her first date and you buy your first gun. I mean, this is, this, is, this, is, this is what this content is for. And so here's what I'm encouraging men, all of you to do, please is I believe that it's one thing to hear this content. It's a whole nother thing to walk through it with your wife. And so here's what I want you to do, please, men. I want you to take home these questions here. I had five people email me on Tuesday for these. That's cool, that's cool. But in your sermon notes, on the back, there are discussion questions for your community group. And then there are discussions between you and your spouse. Husbands, I'm leaning into you. Boyfriends, 
leaning into you to walk through these questions with your spouse or significant other, I believe that the fruit will be massive. Melissa and I spent an hour walking through last week's questions. Um, how, many of you, how many of you got to last week's question where it was like, spend five minutes in silence um, repenting of any, any area of your life that, that maybe you are being a bit of, you know, bit selfish. And how many of you read that question and were like, five minutes? Just my wife. She's like, five minutes? I'm like, sweetie, you need to understand this. I didn't write these questions for our marriage, yo. I wrote them for their marriages, all right? We need two minutes tops. I'm glad we're there. We can laugh about these things. Um, so here's, so please, husbands, you have till Tuesday night before, uh, Tuesday night to get these done. If they're not done by Tuesday, wives, uh, unfortunately, you're going to have to step in and, and, and just kind of give them that elbow. You decide the force. <laughs> Ashley just gave him an elbow. That was awesome. Uh, I can see. I can see you guys. Um, this is fantastic. So here's how I want to start. I want to start by saying this. Um, this morning's content is something that I was never taught in, in, until, uh, it, until after I was married. This is content that I'm not sure any marriages are necessarily taught. Um, but it's monumentally huge. Um, the purpose of marriage is what we're going to be talking about. Before I get there, I want to say two very quick things that I should have said week one, and I apologize. Um, here's what needs to be said. There are some of you in here where you, you, you come into church and you're like, oh, we're talking about marriage. Awesome. And, and you see this topic is not so much an opportunity for you to grow in the marriage that you're in as much as you see this sermon series as an opportunity to be reminded of, of maybe areas in your marriage where you, you've sinned. And so, so walking through this is, is just a reminding or a rehearsing or a walking back into that season of guilt and shame in which you're, you're just being reminded of, man, I, I, I blew it there, I blew it there, I blew it there, and my marriage ended in divorce. I feel like such a sinner. And so this content is not so much encouraging as discouraging. Here's what I would say to, to those of you who are, who are maybe walking here feeling that. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we talk about Jesus every single week. Because in that moment where you're feeling convicted of your sin, that's okay. Being convicted of your sin, that's a good thing. But the moment you let that conviction turn into guilt or shame, you don't even realize this, but you are worshiping your sin. You are making much of your sin. Instead, when that conviction comes, worship the fact that Jesus has forgiven you. Worship the fact that as Dan, oh, I loved it when you just said that there is not one sin that Jesus' blood cannot atone for. It's covered. Adultery, covered. Infidelity, covered. Pornography, covered. Divorce, first time, second time, third time, covered, covered, covered covered. This is the beauty of the gospel, friends. So I, I just, it just needs to be said, and I should have said it two weeks ago. If you're feeling convicted, that's okay. Please don't worship your sin. 
worship Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, please talk to me after. I would love to share how Jesus can set you free of all your sin. Second thing that needs to be said. You may not realize it, but there are marriages in the mission church that are on the rocks. We need to be prepared, mission church, every single one of us. We need to be prepared for someone in our church coming to you and saying, I've committed adultery, what should I do? My wife, she cheated on me, what do I do? We need to be prepared for that. Because here's what we cannot see as a church. My mom didn't go to church, I don't know for how many years. Several years because she walked through divorce with my dad. I, I, I think I was one. And, and when, when the church figured out what was going on, get out of here, Sherry. You're not welcome here, Sherry. Can't believe you, Sherry. And so when you hear about the infidelity of a couple you love dearly, the natural inclination is to go, I think I want to punch that guy. That's not a bad feeling, okay? But instead of ganging up on him or ganging up on her for her sin or his, his sin, may we as a church, may we as community groups, may we as fellow believers in Christ come beside the sinner and go, okay, that's wrong, but let's go to Jesus. Let's go to the gospel. Repent of your sin and pursue Jesus. And we come alongside the, the, the one who's been sinned against, and we remind them, hey, this is dark, this is difficult, but you have the gospel. Christ has forgiven you of worse things than how you've been sinned against. And if Christ has forgiven you, you can forgive them. And so Mission Church, you need to be prepared for someone to share that. And you need to be prepared not to say, get out of here. But to be ready to walk through the gospel with them. Okay, we got a lot to get through. Just, it needed to be said. I hope that's helpful. Ephesians chapter 5. We are talking about the purpose of marriage. But let me pray because... I feel like this is the most difficult sermon. And we're talking about sex next, next week. This is harder than sex, okay? So, um, so come next week. Um, viewer discretion advised. Um, Heavenly Father, the purpose of marriage is so rich, and yet I'm not sure how many of us walk in it. I feel a bit ill-prepared this morning because this is so rich and so deep, and, and I feel like it, it takes a a renewed heart to actually want to do what you call us to do in marriage. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move every heart in here to see the beauty and the wonder of your purpose in marriage and to, and to walk in you and your purposes. And Father, there's, there's husbands in here, there's wives in here, they are sinning against their spouse, and I pray that they would turn to you, Jesus, and repent and, and, come and walk in you, Jesus. Pray all these things, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Why the purpose of marriage? Here, here's a question that I think almost every single married person can answer. If you went up to someone, doesn't matter how long they've been married, if you go up to them and ask them, Hey, why did you get married? 
My guess is all of us, we can answer that question. I'm <laughs> just like so in love with her. Or I just like, I, like, I, was, like, I'm, like I did that purity thing long enough. I'm, I, I'm ready to get married, yo. I did, okay. Like we got, we got, we got some Bible believing young church youth group kids in here. Or, or you, you, but you can think back and go, I, I married them because of this. Or I married them because of that. Almost every single one of us, we can look back and talk about why we got married. But here's what's shocking. If you ask the same group of people, tell me why you're currently married. A lot of people have to stop and think about that for a second. Why am I married? And here's why the purpose of marriage is so massive. is because whether we realize this or not, for many of us, the purpose of why we get married is very often the same purpose of why we get divorced. Let me talk about that for a second. A lot of people, I think there's three major reasons why they would say they got married. They got married because, man, I'm just so in love with them. I want to spend the rest of my life with them because I just, these feelings I have for them, I want nothing more to spend the rest of my life with them. Or, or maybe it's, I, gosh, I just, I love them and I want to build a life together. I want to build a family together. Or maybe it's, it's the security route. I just, I want the security that comes with having that partner. Like, I get that they have their issues, but we can work through it. Like, I want that emotional security. I want that financial security. I just, I want that security. All of these reasons right here, you you see them in almost every romantic comedy you ever watch. But there's a problem with these purposes, with these reasons. And the first one is this. As much as you feel so in love with that person and that's why you got married, some of us have found out there's moments... It's shocking where that feeling isn't there like it used to be. And so all of a sudden, the purpose of why you got married is now the purpose of why you're thinking about calling it quits. Or I got married because I really wanted to start a family together. What happens when you can't have kids? What happens, God forbid, when one of your children gets sick and dies? What happens when you become empty nesters? The very purpose of why you got married is now a bit of the purpose of why you are now splitting up or calling it quits. Or I got married for the security. It doesn't take you real long to figure out that there are some major insecurities in marriage. And so here is the main point that we need to understand of why the purpose of marriage is so important. The purpose of your marriage must be greater than the stress that will come upon it. Or it will buckle. The purpose of your marriage, it must be greater than the stress, than the tragedy, than the struggles, than the pain, than the anger that will, not if, will come upon it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of married couples out there who have either not even defined the purpose of their marriage or they're walking in a purpose of marriage that will be crushed by the circumstances that will come. But here's what's extremely helpful. The Bible straight up tells us here is the purpose of marriage, plain and simple. This is the purpose of marriage. And then it does even one better than that, and it tells us, it gives us a roadmap 
of how we can walk in that purpose. So Ephesians 5, we are going to talk about what is the purpose of marriage. And two, wives, how do you walk in that purpose? Husbands, how do you walk in that purpose? Let's go to work. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 28. We're going to circle, circle back to um, verse 21, which is one of the more uh, offending verses of the Bible. So this is going to be real fun. Verse 28. In the same way, now pause here. This is the Apostle Paul writing this, inspired by God. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now, verse 31, this is going to sound familiar because it is a direct quote of when marriage is instituted in Genesis chapter 2. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So I'm not sure if you realize this or not, but what the Apostle Paul is doing here in these verses is he is describing the kind of relationship that every marriage ought to have. If you were here last week, we, we talked all about that. And namely, the kind of relationship that every marriage should have is a covenant relationship. And, and, and we spent a lot of time unpacking what is and what is not a covenant relationship. So I'm going to keep it very simple, and you can listen to last week if you forget. A covenant relationship is literally, um, we are no longer two, we are one, like we just read in this text. We are no longer two, we are one, and you know what? We are in this together, no matter what, till death do us part. That, that's, that is a covenant relationship. It is, it is not this, okay, you sign on the dotted line, I'll sign on the dotted line, but once you do this, all bets are off, I'm out of here. That's a contractual marriage. A covenant marriage is you and me, we are in this through the thick, through the thin, we are in this together till death do us part. Now, don't, don't, be, don't, don't be deceived here. Covenant marriage is not. We are in this together till the very end, even if we hate each other the whole way through. That, that's, not covenant, that's not a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship is we are in this together to the very end, and I will love you all the way through till death do us part. A covenant relationship steps into it saying, I know that you will sin against me but I'm not going to hold it over your head. I'm going to forgive you. I know that you're going to become very, very selfish, but in that moment, I'm still going to serve you. I know that you're going to disappoint me. You're going to anger me. You're going to frustrate me. You are going to make me go crazy, but I'm still going to love you day in and day out. This is covenantal relationship. It's an unconditional Love. It's not this unconditional, stay with you forever, even if I hate you. It's an unconditional love. And I will love you no matter what you do or say to me. I will forgive you no matter what you do or say. That's the kind of relationship every marriage ought to have. And, and I think we, maybe you realize this, maybe you don't. Almost every single marriage starts this way. Even heathens start this way. Just go to a marriage and listen to the vows they say. 
You'll never hear, I, will, I promise to love you, but if you do this, I'm out. It's not going to hear that. You're going to hear a kind of vows that says, even if you do this, even if I do that, even if this happens, we're still together. Every marriage starts out this way. Not every marriage ends this way. And so that's the kind of relationship a marriage ought to be. And it's very important for us because it's going to help us understand the purpose of marriage. So Paul is saying, hey, this is what a marriage should be. You're in it forever with love. Verse 31, here we get the purpose of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Here we go. This is, this mystery is profound. Now, let's pause here. Um, Here's something I think every person can agree with, Christian or not. You ever gone to bed at night and you're like, holy smokes, she is a mystery. My goodness, I can't figure that guy out. Did I marry that person? Like any, any one of you been like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this, this, this marriage is a bit of a mystery. Can, can, can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Those younger people aren't there yet, Cyrus. You, you really pronounced that amen there. <laughs> it's a mystery. Now, now, listen very carefully here. This mystery is profound. Speaking about marriage. Now, here's our key line. And I am saying that it, what is it here? It is, it is marriage. It is the mystery of marriage. Paul says, and I am saying, I'm telling you that this mystery of marriage, it refers to Christ and the church. I've read this passage so many times in my life, and I get to the end of it, and I, I didn't get it. Like, what? I thought Paul was talking about marriage. I thought Paul was talking about a husband and a, and a wife. And, and, and now he starts talking about Jesus and the church. What, what, what is he saying? Here's what he's saying. He's, he's saying this is, this is the purpose of, of marriage. The purpose of marriage is for you and I to both experience and display the glorious covenant love God has for us through Christ. It's as if in Genesis chapter 2, when God created marriage, it's as if God was saying, you know what? There's got to be a way I can get humanity to, to just taste in part, to experience and display in part the kind of full covenant love they can have with me. I know I'll create marriage. The purpose of your marriage, unlike romantic comedies, the purpose of your marriage is not so you can find someone that will make you feel all googly and and happily ever after. The purpose of your marriage is for you to both experience and display the glorious love, grace, and joy that we have in the covenant relationship with God through Christ. Now, here are two major problems that we run into for us as an audience. Well, I'll start with this. There's one significant problem, and the significant problem is this. Most Christians don't live this out. This is is my own study I undertook. 
So statistics are everywhere. All I'm saying is there's not a lot of married couples who would say this is the purpose of their marriage. Two reasons why. The first reason, they just haven't been taught. My guess is many of you, you weren't taught this in premarital counseling. I had phenomenal premarital counseling. Wasn't taught this. Wasn't taught that this is the purpose of marriage so that we can experience and display God's glorious covenant love with us through Christ. Wasn't taught this. So there's, there's a lot of Christians who don't live this because they just don't know. Here's the second biggest reason why most Christian marriages don't live this out. What does this do for me? We live in a very consumeristic culture, do we not? That a lot of times we buy into. And the consumeristic culture always makes us ask this question, what's that going to do for me? How's that going to help me? How's that going to benefit me? And so for a lot of Christians, they, they read that the purpose of marriage is to experience and display the, the, the glorious covenant love that God has for me. Wait a second. It seems like the purpose of marriage here is, is less about gratifying myself and more about glorifying God. You're exactly right. And there's a lot of people who, who just won't walk in this because it really is not so much about gratifying yourself. And it has everything to do with glorifying God, making much of God, not of yourself. But here's what I hope you will see. That although the purpose of marriage that is crystal clear in Scripture, although it has almost nothing to do with gratifying yourself and almost everything to do with glorifying God, even though that's the fact, I just want to let you know that if you walk in this purpose you will find that your marriage will grow to a kind of intimacy and depth that, that, it, that is just filled with joy and wonder. You will also find that the purpose of your marriage, if it is this purpose, will be so strong and so great that the worst of the, the, the things of this world could happen to you and your marriage would still be strong. But I want to talk about, for a second, what, what do we mean by experiencing and, and displaying God's glorious covenant relationship with us? What, what does that even mean that that's the purpose of marriage? Let me give you a couple examples. Let's start with experiencing the, the covenant love of God. Here's what I mean by this. My wedding day, I, I have a photo for this. This, this, is, this is my wedding day. This, this kind of says it all. I felt as if I conquered Rome, okay? I, I felt as if I won the lottery. Many of you, I don't, I don't know, maybe you know Melissa and I's story, maybe not. I'll just simply say this. I had a crush on Melissa since I was in seventh grade. We went to the same school. Might I add, when I was in seventh grade, she was a senior in high school. Yo, yo. Can, can the men give me an amen in here? I'm preaching, yo. I'm preaching the word. My wedding day was one, I'm not exaggerating, one of the most joyous days of my whole entire life. I had a crush on this girl. I mean, like, it was real. When I graduated from high school, I thought I was at the point where, like, I'm, I'm, I'm 19. I'm, an, I'm a real adult. Like, 
so what if I'm a freshman in college and she's already graduated from college? She, she, she's going to want to date me. And so I tried that, and it didn't work well at all. And by the sovereignty and the grace of God, we ran into each other at a Starbucks, and I acted like I didn't know her. And <laughs> she said my name, and, and I, I seriously, I, like, there was angelic voices in my mind. Um, and we went on our first date, and, and, and we have close ties with, you know, her family, my family, and she may or may not have dated one of my cousins. And, and so she, she didn't want anyone to know that, that, that we were hanging out. Um, and, and so I had to keep it a secret. From, it, was, it was Romeo and Juliet, friends. Um, but I told people anyways. Uh, and I, I remember... I just thought she had nothing else better to do. I, I mean, I, I was just kind of like, wow, I get to say I dated Melissa Bennett. Like, that's, that's pretty good. Um, and so I never, I never, like, took the next, I never was like a man. This is where I need some growth in the gospel. I never was like, hey, you know, hey, where's this going? You know, kind of do the DTR, define the relationship. I, I never did that because I was afraid if I DTR'd it, she'd END it. She'd end it. She'd just be like... It's, it's, oh, thanks for bringing it up. You're right. What am I doing? Okay. Um, and I, I'll, I'll never forget her asking me like, so are we like, what, what's going on here? I'm like, oh, you like me. Oh. And, and we got engaged and I, I just, I cannot, sometimes I, I still look back and I'm like, I got to marry her. And one of these days, I feel like I'm going to wake up and she's going to be like, got you, <laughs> sucker, four kids later, worst prank ever, the family's all tied into it and everything, don't you be lying to me, Bennett's, but I, I just, the joy of that day, the the, the affections in my heart that were stirred for her, I cannot put it into words. And whether I realize this or not, I was experiencing in part the massive love that God has for me. I hope, I mean, that, that, that gets me emotional, friends. God loves you that much? Are you kidding me? The joy that you feel for your spouse, God's like, you're just tasting what I have for you. We're experiencing just in part the kind of love and the affections that he has for us and he desires for us to feel for him in full. In the same token, how many of you ever had your spouse really sin against you? You don't have to raise your hand. I prefer you not to. When your spouse sins against you, the natural inclination is not forgiveness, is it? It's, it's anger. It's frustration. It is bitterness. I've got to hold this over them because they deserve it. Make them pay. They deserve it. And forgiveness is so hard. In fact, have you ever found people who literally say, I can't forgive them? 
Like they, like it, it is, it, it's not like, I, like when people say that, my first inclination is like, what do you mean you can't forgive them? Just say, I forgive you. It's not that, not that hard, but literally there are people who, who cannot go there. You know why? Because when you forgive someone you love so much, when you forgive them, it costs you so much, doesn't it? In fact, I bet there's some of you in here, there's something you have not forgiven your spouse of or your ex of because you know that it is going to cost you so much emotionally. When you experience the gut-wrenching pain in the sacrificial cost of looking your spouse in the eye and saying, I forgive you. And you feel like in that moment, like you just, like you're giving the world up. Whether you realize it or not, you are experiencing in part the sacrificial cost of God's covenant love for us when he nailed his son, Jesus Christ, up on the cross. I hope that rattles you. And here's what will happen when you begin to see your marriage through the lens of I'm experiencing the covenant love, the grace, the mercy, the joy of what God has for me. When you look at your marriage through that lens, your marriage will begin to have a depth and a fullness to it that you almost can't even put into words. Where all of a sudden, forgiveness, yes, it's costly, but it's easier. Because you realize, I'm not forgiving them because they deserve it. I'm forgiving them because I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude for what Christ has forgiven me that I'm going to forgive them. And so when you see your marriage through the lens of experiencing the glorious covenant love of Christ, it will set you free to love with no boundaries. What about the purpose of marriage is to display the glorious grace, love, and joy of God's covenant love for us? I think this might be harder. Here's the example that I'll give. A while back, there was someone that I knew that the husband had some infidelity. Told the wife, clearly broken, marriage in shambles. She asked me, what do I do? And I said to her, you have a massive opportunity. An opportunity no one would want, but nonetheless an opportunity. You have the opportunity to display God's glorious love and grace, not just to Him, but to everyone who's watching in, waiting to see what you're going to do. Whether you realize this or not, friends, you are displaying something about Jesus Christ in your marriage. And some of you, when you walk in bitterness, you're, you're not walking in the gospel. 
And we gotta ask ourselves, what am I believing about the gospel? How am I walking in the gospel if I'm not gonna give grace to them? How am I walking in the gospel when I'm willing to forgive them but I'm never gonna love them again? What, like, what are we saying about the gospel? Like, we'd be, we'd be in bad shape if Jesus was like, I tell you what, I forgive you, I ain't gonna love you though. But Jesus goes so far beyond that. I forgive you, I love you. I'm gonna give my righteousness to you so that when God looks at you, he's not gonna see all your sin and shame and all that stuff that no one even knows about except you. He's going to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good, amen? You have an an amazing opportunity to display the gospel when your spouse sins against you. You have an amazing opportunity to display the gospel when when your spouse is selfish and you get to serve them. The purpose of your marriage is not to live happily ever after. Sorry. The purpose of your marriage is to experience and display the glorious love and grace and joy that we have in a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What would happen if we started viewing our marriage through that lens? Man, how the game would change. I'm going to close very quickly with how we do this. Because the Bible says, husbands do this, wives do this. We got some work because what Paul says to the wives makes some people squirm. I'm going to start with the husbands and make this quick. Husbands, this is how you live out the purpose. We're going to get real practical here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what Paul is saying is, okay, husbands, you want to live out the purpose of marriage? You want to both experience and display God's glorious covenant love with you through Christ? Here's what you do. It's quite simple, kind of. Love your spouse like Jesus loves the world. And if you're going, well, how did he love the world? Thank you for asking He went up to the cross and he laid down everything. Power, authority, emotion, his life. He laid it all down. So husbands, if you're ever ever in a circumstance where the dishes need to be done, I'm just getting real, friends. Laundry, kids are screaming. My kids don't scream. (laughs) Diapers need to be changed. Oh, man, don't get me started. I mean, just name your scenario. And if you're wondering, what should I do in this? Just husbands, memorize this verse. Okay, I'm supposed to love the, the way Christ loved me. How did he love me? Oh, ooh, he gave himself up for the world on the cross. So if I could put it very simple, friends, very simple, husbands. Husbands, you are called to sacrificially serve your wife. And if you're wondering, like, to, 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 to what degree do I serve my, my, my wife? Think of the highest degree possible, triple it, that's how far. How neat would it be, husbands, when, you're, when your wife gets together with her girlfriends, and, you know, let's just be real. Sometimes you ladies, you talk about husbands. Only good things, no gossip, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is no one shaking their head? Yeah, um, how neat would it be, husbands, if, if, if this was the operative word that your wife described of you? He, he doesn't just serve me. He sacrificially serves me. Like, I, like I, can't, I can't keep up with him. 
Because he's constantly serving me. Husbands, not because they deserve it. Because, let's get real, they don't. But because of Christ. Because what you have in Christ. So, so husbands, I'm just going to make this real practical for you. If there's one question that you could ask every single day, here it is. Look to your wife. How can I serve you today? How can I serve you? And husbands might push back and go, wait, wait, wait a second. This whole service talk, I mean, that sounds nice and all, but doesn't the Bible say that husbands are supposed to be the head of the house and husbands are supposed to lead their family? Yes, and yes, it's actually in this passage. But, but do not confuse... Serving with laying down of authority. What is being spoken about is what you do with your authority. And it's not you giving it up, it's you leveraging it to serve the other sacrificially. Wives, husbands, I'm just, let's, husbands, let's just say this together. What question are you going to ask your wife after church today? One, two, three. That wasn't that great. Dan, I didn't even hear you, yo. You were praying. Of course you were. That's funny because Janet was praying over you. In the name of Jesus, come on. Husbands, what's the question you're going to ask each day this week? One, two, three. Oh, that's good, man. Y'all, y'all sound like a choir. Um, wives. Oh, man. This is a sermon in itself. So I, we preached on this a couple years ago, so you might have to look back on it. Verse 22, wives, if you're wondering, what does it look like for me to live out the purpose of marriage? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to everything to their husbands. Okay, we need to redeem this word submit very quickly. And so I need to do this very, and we got some laughter. Thank you. Yes, it is. Yeah. You imagine getting up here and talking to people about it, right? Yeah. I'm going to get some emails. Um, let's redeem this word. Here's what we need to do. The biblical de- definition of submission is not the world's definition of submission. The world's definition of submission is this is a position of inferiority. He's greater, she's lesser. He's more important, she's not. That is not the biblical definition of submission. I'll say it one more time. That is not the biblical definition of submission. Submission is not a position of inferiority. Here's why we see that. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands. Verse 21 Ben, do we have it up here? Let's just read this together. Verse 21. This comes before verse 22 for you math majors. Let's say this together. On the count of three, let's read this. One, two, three. So before we even get to verse 22, the Apostle Paul says, okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal, friends. Each and every one of us, male, female, like, submit to one another. What is submission? Probably the most practical, helpful definition of submission I've ever heard that I believe reflects scripture is to leverage your power, your resources, your time, yourself for the sake of the other. That's submission. And in so many ways, isn't that what Christ did for us? Philippians chapter 2, read that one this week. Christ took all of who he was and leveraged it for you. 
And so before Paul even gets to the topic of marriage, he says, all right, listen, friends, each and every one of you submit to one another. And if you keep reading, you'll find that Paul talks about marriage next, and then he talks about children and parents, and then he talks about employee-employee relationships. And what you will find is this principle of verse 21 of this mutual submission is, is now shared in a practical way in light of marriage and then in light of parenting relationships with kids and then employee-employee relationships. So if you keep reading, you'll see commands that don't exactly say submission but is an application of this mutual submission. And you might push back and go, okay, why then, if we're supposed to submit to one another, why does it say wives submit to husbands? And then when it gets to husbands, it doesn't say husbands submit to your wife. It says husbands love your wives. Two reasons. First one is this. Marriage is to reflect Christ in the church. Husbands, you are called to lovingly serve your wife like Christ. We just read that. Wives, you are called to be like the church and lean into your husband and his leadership. Now, what if your husband's not leading well? That's where you believe the gospel and you, you, you obey what scripture says and you pray over your husband that his heart would change and he'd walk with Jesus. And, and wives, just, just a word here, and I know I don't have too much permission, but I'm, just, I'm, just gonna, I'm, I'm stepping into this territory here, friends. I'm not sure your husband would know what to do. He'd be blown away if, if as he's taking advan, advantage of his um, leadership, if you continue to walk in a kind of submission where you're leveraging all of yourself for him, I think he's going to be blown away. Now, it may take some time because us men, we, we just, we, we can't get it first time around, friends. But here's the other big reason why wives are called to this word submission. It is pointing back to God's good, perfect creation. God creates Adam. And, and what does he say? It is not good for man to be alone. And then what does he say next? I will create for him a, a wife, a spouse. Someone really good looking? No, he says, I will create for him a helper. Speaking, a suitable helper is is what the Hebrew language is. And, And God doesn't just say it once, he says it twice. May I remind you, when God created the helper, which is Eve, was this before or after sin entered the world? So when God creates um Eve to be Adam's helper in marriage, it is not because of of the corruption of sin, but it's out of the perfection of creation. And what sin does is it perverts and twists the role of a husband and the role of a wife. And now what we see in marriages today is a perversion of this where husbands cannot step up and lead. And wives are going, well, if you ain't going to do it, someone's got to do it. Husbands, it starts with you. Wives, I'll close with this. If there's one question that submission begs to ask, here it is. What can I do to help? And I got some great news for you ladies. When you ask that question of your husband, 50% of the time, you know how he's going to answer? 
Oh, um, uh, uh, yeah, I got it. I got it, dear. I got it. And his, his voice will get deeper. I, I, got, I got it. But wives, I, I don't know if you realize this, but, but when you ask that question, even if the answer is, oh, I, I got it, what you are saying to your husband is, I'm here for you. I want you to lead our family. I want you to lead me like Christ leads the church. I'm looking to you. I'm here for you. So I'll be real with you. If you're not church folk, this is radical. Even if you are church folk, this is radical. But, but let me just ask you, wives, what would your marriage look like if every day your husband woke up and asked you, what can I do to serve you? And he spent the day laying his life on the line to serve you. Like, how awesome would your marriage be? Like, how, how much would you be displaying how great and glorious God's love is? Husbands, how neat would it be if your wife was able to say, what can I do to help? How can I leverage my time, my resources to help you? Friends, this is a dance. And I'll just start by saying, most likely in here, no one's doing it well. And our default is to go, well, if he ain't going to do it, if he ain't going to do it, I'm out. Husbands, I need you to step up. I need you to step up. You're called to lead your home. And look to Jesus. And wives, we need your patience. We need your grace. And we need your encouragement. May the Mission Church marriages look like this for the sake of experiencing and glorifying our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the covenant love he has for us. Let's pray. Father, I just, I pray that this was your word and not my own. Oh, please, Jesus. May we not love and may we not submit because simply it's, it's what I heard in church today. May we love and may we submit because we are so overwhelmed with gratitude and joy and wonder for how you, Jesus Christ, you gave up everything for us. And you love us no matter what. Stir up our affections for you, Jesus. And may we love and may we submit to our spouses for the sake of experiencing and displaying to the world how glorious your love and your grace and your joy is that we have with you. And Father, I pray that people in our lives would see Jesus through our marriages, would come to know you, Jesus, through the way that we love in our marriage. And we ask that you would be so greatly glorified. And everyone said at the top of their voices...